Psalm 109. This is a, a different, different kind of message this morning. One line gripped me a while back, and then it came to my remembrance, and I read it again. And as I read some of this psalm, I got a message out of it. I want to speak this morning of persecution, prosecution, and prayer. Persecution, prosecution, and prayer. We'll just read uh, the first six verses of Psalm 109. And keep your Bible open for we'll refer to them. Hold not thy peace, O God, of my praise. For the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are opened against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They compassed me about also with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. For my love, they are my adversaries. I give myself unto prayer. And they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. Set thou a wicked man over him and let Satan stand at his right hand. Let's pray. Father, we ask you now that you would settle us and shut us in with yourself. And Lord, that our hearts would be open to your word. Lord, that our ears would be open. And that our mind would be receptive. That we may hear the word of God. Father, whatever way you want to apply your own word to our heart, Lord, will you apply it through thy spirit. And Lord, we ask you, Lord, that not man's voice would be heard, but only the voice of God. Lord, if our hearts are hardened, help us to soften them. If our hearts are cold, then will you warm them? If our hearts are failing, will you strengthen them? We ask you, Lord, that you would lead us and guide us into your truth. We ask you, Father, this morning, be over that everyone that's here, Lord, everyone that hears your word, that they will receive something of instruction, maybe even conviction or compunction from the word of God. So glorify the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. And his name we ask it. Amen. David doesn't know what to do. David's in a quagmire. There's so many has come against him. His heart is failing him. And he doesn't know what to do. He's tried everything. He's tried loving people. And they've turned it against him. They've abused him. Uh, We think of times of Saul, when Saul, the king whom David played before with his harp, and the evil spirit was lifted from him. And yet while David played with his harp, Saul lifted his javelin. Isn't it so true that how we find, brothers and sisters, that at times when we're ministering and trying to do our best, that people lift the javelin, ready to spear you to the wall, maybe through jealousy or maybe through some reason or another. And David now finds himself also that he runs through his life away from Saul and he's chased then Absalom, his son. Imagine from his, your own child. 
His son has done him wrong, and his son now will also chase him as well. David doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what to do with the situations that he's come across. He doesn't know how to deal with them. And so in this psalm, you can read as he says, Hold not thy peace, O God of my praise. He's looking for God to give him an answer. He's looking for God to give him direction, but he's looking for God to help him. I think many of us have been there. All of us have been there. When there's times when we just don't know what to do, and we're asking God to give us direction. We're asking God to help us. Show yourself, Lord. Show yourself and give us direction. And maybe there are those who have spoken against you. Maybe they have lied about you. And it's hurtful to you. There are even those who want to harm you. And David knows what that was like. And under the anointing of the Spirit, we find that he gets down to verse 4. This is the line that caught me. He says, I give myself unto prayer. I give myself unto prayer. In verse 2 of our reading, he says, The mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are opened against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They compassed me about also with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. First of all, David here is recognizing he's under persecution. The persecution, he says, are from those who are wicked. The word wicked here is the word rasha. And it means ungodly eight times it's used. The word rasha is used eight times for the word ungodly. Wickedness from the tongue and from the mouth and open vanity and lies are ungodly. They're wicked against others. Now we have to look at, maybe you're feeling persecution or maybe you're the one who's allowing the persecution to come through. We must evaluate ourselves and reevaluate our lives and say, Lord, where am I this morning? Let the Spirit of God look upon it this morning. The word wicked is used 249 times in the Bible. The deceitful have opened their mouth against me, he says. The word deceitful is the word mirma, and it means the false. People who put a face on, false, the crafty, the subtle, the treacherous. Those who want to do harm and damage and go out of their way to do so. So these wicked, ungodly, deceitful, false, crafty, subtle, treacherous people spoke against David And we're told in verse 3, they have compassed me about also with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. In other words, he says, I've tried my best and they still hated me. They hated me and it wasn't my fault. Notice what he says here, they have compassed me. The word compass gives the idea in the Hebrew of a door swinging on its hinges. Of a door swinging around on its hinges. In other words, David is saying, they have turned completely against me. They have turned around completely on me, like a door swinging on its hinges. And he who was great at the start is now the persecuted at this point. He who was, as it were, if I put it in brackets, the hero is now in their eyes the zero. 
there. He has become the, the object of their talk and the object of their chat. He's become the object of their heart and of their hatred and of their speech and of their lives. And he says, what do I do in a situation like this, Lord? And he comes to the conclusion in verse 4, I give myself unto prayer. I give myself unto prayer. Now, we'll look at prayer at the end of it because it means more than just saying a prayer. He says, for my love, they are my adversaries. Notice verse 4, for my love, they are my adversaries. The word adversaries here is the word Satan. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Satan. It's actually the, from the word Satan. I've loved them, but Satan has used them. The word Satan doesn't give the person of Satan, but the works. I've loved them, but they've allowed the enemy in. And so in Psalm 109 and verse 6, look what it says. David prays, set thou a wicked man over him and let Satan, this is the personage, let Satan stand at his right hand. Imagine, imagine praying that. Yet, listen, David is anointed of the Spirit. David is anointed of the Spirit. This is Holy Ghost writing here. And David, through the Holy Ghost, is saying, Lord, they're coming against me now. I've done nothing but wrong, nothing but love. And they've swung around in me like a door, set it against them. I think we find it hard to pray for our enemies even like that. Let alone those we once loved or do love. David was set through the Spirit to say, Lord, deal with them. The sad thing is, is for those who are allowing the enemy to use them, God will deal with them. It's tragic. And I would say, brothers and sisters, from myself to yourself, to every one of us here, that if God is speaking to you to turn your heart to a right, do it before God deals with you. Before God takes it in hand. David cries in verse 6, Set thou a wicked man over him and let Satan. In other words, they have allowed the enemy to use them to buffet me, to hurt me. He now says, Lord, then you deal with them. Let Satan have his way if that's what they want their heart to be used for. Notice the position. He says, set Satan at his right hand. Her right hand, if you want. Set Satan at the right hand. The right hand speaks of fellowship. Let them fellowship with the devil. The right hand speaks of authority. The right hand speaks of power. For example, Christ is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Christ is ascended and glorified, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. It's not that the Father has an actual right hand. That means he's seated in the place and the power and the authority of the Father. All power has been given unto me in heaven and on earth, Jesus said. 
So the right hand means fellowship. He's now back in the fellowship with the Father in glory. He's a man who stands there interceding for us. So the right hand means power, place, and authority. Power, place, authority. Fellowship is also at the right hand. David says, my adversaries, the word adversaries, remember, Satan. My Satan are being used by Satan. And this in Proverbs 18 and 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You and I have the power to destroy a person or to encourage a person. You and I have the power of the tongue to help someone, to forgive with it, or to curse with it. Yet John tells us, how can we who say we love the Lord curse our brothers and sisters or curse uh, uh, those who Christ loves and yet say we love God with the same tongue? He says it can't be. It cannot be. See, death and life are in the power of the tongue Here's the rest of the verse. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. In other words, that fruit comes back to you. Whatever we sow, that we will also reap. And if we sow in the flesh, we shall reap also of the flesh. But if we sow to the Spirit, we will reap of the Spirit. And sowing to the flesh is death. Sowing to the Spirit will be life everlasting. And here we're told that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. In other words, what he's saying here is, those who live by the sword shall die by the sword. Those who live by the sword shall die by the sword. In Psalm 109, verse 6, Notice, set thou a wicked man over him, and let Satan stand at his right hand. In other words, Satan is going to usurp the power, the place of where Christ should be. Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Notice this. It says, And he showed me, the Lord showed Zechariah. Zechariah 3, verses 1 and 2. And the Lord showed Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is this not a brand plucked out of the fire? So here we have now a place where it's in the temple worship. Joshua the high priest is in the holy place. Now listen. He's in the holy place, in the presence of God. And the angel of the Lord, in other words, it's the theophany, a pre-Bethlehem appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. The theophany of God, the manifestation of the word. The angel of the Lord is before him. And Satan is right beside him at his right hand. So don't think that Satan can't come and try and turn a mind or a heart in the middle of a meeting to interfere or to disrupt or to cause you 
to react in a certain way or to cause you not to think right or to cause you to think wrong because he comes right beside Joshua the high priest in the presence of the Lord with the angel of the Lord before him. Here's Christ and here is Satan right beside the man. How the old devil likes to whisper in your ear. Notice Joshua the high priest, the angel of the Lord, Satan at the right hand. What is Satan trying to say here? He's trying to say, this child of God, you and I are made kings and priests unto God in Christ. Isn't that right? When we are in the Lord Jesus. He tries to come along the right hand side of men and women, as it were, to usurp the authority, to usurp the fellowship that belongs to Christ alone. Now it's up to you and I whether we allow him here because Christ has already defeated him. He is already a defeated foe at Calvary when Christ crushed the serpent's head on the cross when he said it is finished and he paid our debt and give up the ghost. When Christ was resurrected from the dead on the third day, he is a defeated foe. And notice, it says in verse 2, the Lord said unto Satan, the Lord rebuked thee. You and I hear all the time, I rebuke Satan. I re-. You don't even have to rebuke Satan. Resist him. And he will flee. You don't even need to rebuke him. God rebukes him. You're his child, God rebukes him. So here we have then, we went from persecution, now we have prosecution. In other words, the idea is that it gives the idea of a courtroom battle where we have our adversary, Satan himself. The adversary would have come up in a courtroom situation and stood at the right hand of he who was a defendant and gave an account of their offenses and all that they were guilty of. And so Satan comes and he gives, a, he gives an account of Ken Davidson at times. When I even go to pray, he may come along and say, see him, see him, see him. But you see, he is our adversary. But the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We also have an advocate. And where's our advocate? It was the angel of the Lord, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. The advocate then comes and takes over the place where the, uh, the adversary is on the right hand and says, I will defend this. These charges that are against him, these charges that are against her, I will be their defense. He's their prosecution, I'm their defense. Christ is your defense this morning. Well, it's up to you and I whether we want him as our defense and leave everything with him. So here is the persecution. Now is the prosecution. Satan tries to get control and power and authority over Joshua, the high priest. And even in the presence of the Lord, you'll find that the enemy can move upon people to influence them. Even to influence them against the move of the Spirit. There's people in a meeting who can actually hamper, hold back 
the moving of the Spirit in a meeting because their heart is not maybe Satan at their right hand, but the Satan, the works that he does is in their heart. The bitterness and the hatred. The Holy Ghost can't move freely. Hinders the moving of the Spirit and the work of God. So the adversary comes and here we have the prosecution. Listen to what we should be doing to make sure our hearts are right. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27, Paul tells us, neither give place to the devil. Paul tells us, don't even give him a foothold. Don't even give him a foothold in your mind. You remember you used to see the old salesmen that come around. Sometimes now they come around and it's they're not selling encyclopedias, but they're selling uh, maybe, you know, you, 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 you sign up to try and, and maybe, I remember one time I signed up to help birds in the sanct- bird sanctuary. I used to sign up for everything and Austin used to tell me off. I couldn't say no. <laughs> I was birds in a bird sanctuary. I, okay, well, and dogs and everything. I was signing up for everything. And once they get their food in the door, I'm beat. Could we just like to talk? I'm not really interested and the food goes in. I will come on in, sure, and we'll talk about it. And such are some, whenever they allow the, the enemy to do this. What about this? Oh, no, 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 I'm not listening to that. I but what do you tell you? Food in the door. All right, well, come on in and talk about it. And he comes to destroy, to take your joy. Comes to disrupt Neither give place to the devil. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11 says this. Paul tells us and warns us off to put on the whole armor of God to give us a defense for what? Against the wiles of the devil. See the word wiles? Do you know what the word wiles is? Methodia. The methodia or methodia of the devil. In other words, the devil has a method he sits, as it were, to think of how to disrupt and how to, how to hurt and how to get the hold of someone, destroy their walk with Christ. He has a method. I remember when I was growing up, I used to love, who remembers Roadrunner, the cartoon, Wiley Coyote? Why did you call him Wiley? Do you remember he used to always have the plans and he used to have the stuff all all the traps set up for Roadrunner coming along and a Roadrunner, maybe he came up and he ate the food and maybe a big rock dropped down and Wiley Coyote, it always fell back on him, didn't it? That's what it means. He was setting up plans. It's the methods that he had. And we're told that the wiles, the methods of the devil are cunning. They're trickery and it's craft. Brothers and sisters, let's be conscious of what the devil would use even as he comes and appears as an angel of light. In Ephesians chapter 4, let me just turn to it. I want to show you just a little example of it. I know I give you a strange example there with Wiley Coyote. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14. Paul's talking about coming into the unity 
of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ in verse 13. Notice that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the sleight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. See the idea here, they lie in wait to deceive. It means they have a method. They think about this, they chew on it. I would always say they're like a dog with a bone. And they chew on it and chew on it and won't let it go and won't do anything with it. And then all of a sudden they think of their plan. And what Paul was saying, that can come into the church where we should be coming into the unity of Christ and being built up as one man, as the body of Christ, the fullness of the stature of Christ. But yet he says, those will come in, he says, and they will have their own methods. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, pardon me, yes, 3 and verse 6, In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 6, Paul talks about the condemnation of the devil. Condemnation. Now be careful the difference between the condemnation of the devil and the conviction of the Spirit. The conviction of the Spirit will always speak to a heart to do right. The conviction of the Spirit may challenge you, but will not only challenge you, he will challenge you in order to better you. The condemnation of the devil will tear you down. Don't let the devil condemn you, but rather yield ourselves to Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7 Paul warns of the snare of the devil. The snare of the devil. We must be careful that these traps let out, there's traps that men fall into, traps that women fall into. There's traps that people fall into and they never even meant to be there. And these traps are traps of the devil to try to destroy you, try to destroy your walk, Try to destroy your testimony. Try to destroy your witness for Christ. We must be careful and, and we must be walking circumspectly because in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, Peter says, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil. Notice, your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion lion, seeking whom he may devour. And what we find is sometimes people start to drift off from fellowship. They start to drift off from worship and prayer. And when you're there, you're like that little herd where the, the lion's lying on the grass, ready to pounce, just waiting to get a weak, an old, or an infirm one. And those who are weak, those who are maybe suffering with something, and those who maybe are infirm, and those who are maybe infirm in spirit, he waits to get you and pick you off. 
And when you're then separated, as it were, like a, like, like a, a wildebeest, or whether it's a deer or an antelope from the herd, then he pounces and destroys. And that's the idea that Peter's given us. He says that we are to be sober and be vigilant. In other words, it means that we are to be circumspect and walk around, have our ears open, have our eyes open, and see what's going on. And, and don't be carried about with everything we hear. But rather, we are to give our hearts unto Christ and read the word. Notice this. He is identified in Revelation 20 and verse 2 as the one who was kicked out of heaven. He's called the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan. So here we have the prosecution comes in the courtroom scene. The adversary but the advocate comes and he prays for you. The only reason any one of us will ever make it to glory is because Christ is praying for you. Yes, he died for us. Yes, he shed his blood for us. Yes, he rose from the dead, justification for us. Yes, all of that. But we would be lost. We would be straying without his prayers. We would be so weak that we couldn't make it without the prayers of Christ. Today could be a day when we turn things around. Today could be a day when we receive this word and that we say, Lord, I am changing from today. What will I do with hurt? And what will I do with of bitterness? What will I do with the deadness of my heart? And what will I do with the emptiness of my spirit? Well, what should I do with it? Well, in verse 4, David tells us, he says, I give myself unto prayer. Do you know what's wrong with most of the church today? I don't pray. I don't pray. two prayer meetings here every Sunday before the meeting. We go between Bible study to prayer. Do you know one of the saddest things are? See, whenever I announce Bible studies, we get a better attendance. But after a while in prayer meetings, people love it as a start and then drift off. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 23, Jesus seen right through Peter and he's seen the spirit behind. That's why we must be sober and vigilant to see. Look, we need to pray, for, Lord, ah, give me the discerning of spirits. I may know what is manifest before me. The strange thing is, is that when we read all the time of Matthew 5 and 30 when the Lord Jesus says if thy right hand doth offend thee cut it off and cast it from thee for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell now we're not looking for people to start cutting off body parts and that's not what Jesus is talking about he's talking about that which offends thee now listen if it is the works or the Satan or Satan himself who is who you've allowed to be, as it were, at your right hand of power of your life, 
the right hand of fellowship in your life, uh, the right hand given authority over your life. You've yielded yourself to these things and the Satan, the works of it is manifest in your life even through speech, even through talk. Then notice what Jesus says, if thy right hand offend thee, then cut it off. Because if your right hand is Christ, if your right hand is the Holy Ghost, if your right hand is the paraclete, the one who comes alongside in order to help you, then you don't need it cut off. But if thy right hand offends thee, then cut it off. That is, figuratively speaking, I want to make clear. Cut that off from you. Whatever it is that causes you and I to offend, offend Christ, offend the Father, to offend, to offend our, our, our brothers and sisters, take it from us and cut it off. Because if we don't, what if God does the dealing with us? I'd rather do it myself while he tells me. Jesus said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Peter, Matthew 16, 23. For thou art an offense unto me, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Notice he's speaking to Peter, but it's the spirit behind it. The spirit behind it's working. So sometimes we must then realize this isn't really the person's form. They've allowed a hurt. They've allowed an indifference. They've allowed a coldness to come in. And, and look, there are some people who have been on fire for God. And you've went, wow, what a godly man. What a godly woman. And, and yet they have allowed that right hand to come where even Satan, the works of, God, of Satan, has been manifest through them. Listen to this. On this verse of Matthew 16 and verse 23, when the Lord says, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Listen to Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown on that verse. I'll quote them. How quickly has the rock, to put it in small letters, how quickly has the rock turned to a devil? the fruit of divine teaching the Lord delighted to honor in Peter, but the mouthpiece of hell, which he had in a moment of forgetfulness become, the Lord shook off with horror. Imagine Christ saying, get away from me. Get you away from me. You're allowing the devil to use you. When we yield ourselves to God and when we have, our, have Christ in his rightful place in our lives, in our hearts and at our right hand, when Jesus is in fellowship with us and we are with him, when he is the power we are yielding to, ruling over our lives, we find that we have revelation from God. The Lord says, Thou savest not the things of God. The word savest here is the word phroneo, and it means to think, you're not thinking the way God would think. In other words, you do not have the mind of Christ on this. 
It means to exercise one's mind. And it means to be mentally disposed in a certain direction. To exercise our mind on the word of God. To exercise our mind and to be our minds disposed in a certain direction. Always on the word of God. Always in Christ. Always feasting in him. In other words, when we realize, hold on, I'm letting that foot go in the door. We must listen to what the word says. And that's hard. That may be against everything, everything that you ever want to hear. It may be against everything that you ever want to do. So the Lord was saying here, thou savest, Peter had allowed Satan to try to stop Christ going to Calvary. I wonder why. Can you imagine this? I want to say it again. Peter had allowed Satan to try and stop Christ through him going to Calvary. He tried in the wilderness to get him to worship him. He tried in the wilderness to get him to bow before him. He tried in the wilderness to get him to do miracles. Christ wouldn't yield to him because he knew I needed saved and you needed saved. So now he comes to Peter and he says, I'll use Peter to stop him going, to change his mind. And the Lord says, you are not, you savor us not. Or in other words, your mind is not thinking like God, but man. Listen to what Romans 12 and 6 says. Be of the same mind one toward another. Romans 15 and 5 says, Now the God of peace and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. Philippians 2 and 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And Colossians 3 and verse 2 says, Set your affections on things above not on things in the earth. The word affections there, to set your affections, it's the same word, Saverest. It's the same word. It's the same idea. Have your mind mentally disposed toward the things of God. Keep your mind on the things of God. Keep your conscience on Christ. Keep your conscience on the Lord Jesus. At all times, no matter when it is, no matter what is happening, let not the flesh nor the devil usurp the place of Christ in the heart. In other words, to make you say, to make you do, to make you act or react the things that are unbecoming of Christ. Keep your mind in him. See, our mind is where repentance is. A change of mind and a change of heart. So where we have persecution, Prosecution, and lastly, is prayer. 
I'm going to ask something. And you're going to say, what does he mean? Prayer. Do you? You might say, well, yes or no to that. So, prayer. Are you? Am I praying? No, that's not what I mean. Stay with me. The psalmist says here, David says in Psalm 109 and verse 4, I give myself unto prayer. No matter how hard it is, no matter how hurt we are, no matter how down we have gotten, I give myself unto prayer. So here's your answer for persecution and prosecution. Prayer. Baron Bushier, he wrote this. The instruction to ourselves from these words is most comforting and precious. Are we bowed down with sorrow and distress? I give myself unto prayer. Are we persecuted and reviled and compassed about with words of hatred? I give myself unto prayer. Has death entered our dwellings? And as we gaze in heartbroken anguish on the no longer answering back look of one who was our earthly stay, and we feel as if all hope as well as all help were gone, still there remains the same blessed refuge for all the Lord's sorrowing ones. I give myself to prayer. The church has lost its way to prayer. The church feels that program overtakes prayer, that professionalism overtakes prayer. A fleshy carnality can overtake prayer. One minute in prayer can do more than one year in the flesh. I give myself unto prayer. But I, I said at the start, and I'm closing with this, prayer, do you? Prayer, are you? What do I mean? Well, the term here, I give myself. I give myself. Rendered in the Hebrew, simply like this, he says, it says, I give myself unto prayer. It means I prayer. That's what it reads. I prayer, or I, listen, am prayer. I am prayer. Are you? I am prayer. If you have your Bible and you look at the verse, you'll notice I then give myself unto, or in italics, if you're reading the proper translation of the King James. They are in italics and the next word prayer is not in italics. And the reason give myself unto is for the flow of the English language that's been placed there. Notice so it would read in verse four, for my love, they are my adversaries. In other words, for my love, I love them, but they let Satan come against me. 
but I prayer. Or it is I am. That's the way it reads. I am prayer. Are you? What does it mean I give myself? The idea here reads like this. And this is what I've written as I searched my heart for. As a young bride gives herself to her husband, and they too become one flesh, so in truth, openness, honesty, and nakedness, freely and fully giving ourselves without any inhibitions, without walls, without guards, barriers, or blockades that may hinder the intimacy, the union, and our experience of this closeness of heaven and oneness with God. We must not say, I will pray, nor I am going to pray, nor should we give a token of time or a token thought to it, but rather we must go before God and say, I give myself. The prayer, I am prayer. Pray until you become prayer personified. I give myself the prayer until when wrapped in his love and clothed in his presence and being conscious of his kiss of grace and mercy and being lost to self in the world's woes And by being taken up by him, raptured in spirit, we can cry, I am prayer. We need to stay at the feet of our Father in the presence of Christ. We must allow him to work. Thomas Watson said, prayer as the soul's breathing itself into the bosom of its heavenly Father. I ask you, do you? Are you? Have you ever been in a place of prayer where you're just totally lost to the world, open and free in all fullness, caught up in spirit? And you and I, you and he become one. That's what it takes. Church, if we all strive to be there, you could change the world. You could change our nation. Things will happen. May God bless his word to all of us. For Jesus' name's sake.